in worship. We're glad you're here today. Take your Bibles, if you would, open your Bible up to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 14, that you're going to stay in chapter 14 this morning. And as you're doing that, over the last several weeks, we have been um, in the book of Joshua, teaching through the main uh, elements of the story and going through that of the historical narrative there and pressing forward in the book of Joshua. And we're learning that that transitions happen, that we move from point A to point B, and that in-between time can be funny, it can be weird, it can be awkward, where the old is gone, but the new has not yet settled in quite yet, and you're somewhere in between, and we're learning that the Israelites had that in-between time of leaving the wilderness, and before they established the, themselves in the promised land, they, were, they had to conquer it, they had to conquer the land, they had to go in and do that, fulfilling the promises that God had given them to take over the land. So our Bible verse, that we, our memory verse that we've been using to kind of guide us throughout this series is Joshua 1.9. And I've got to tell you something, the 9 o'clock service, okay? I don't know if it's because, like, it's getting warm outside and, like, more people are, like, going to the 9 o'clock, but they, they rocked the memory verse this morning. I'm just telling you, all right? They did good. So 11, you think you can handle it? All right, here we go. Let's do the address first, our memory verse, and the address again. We ready? Ooh, I don't know. We'll see. All right, here we go. Joshua 1, 9. There you go. Haven't I commanded you, be Do not Joshua 1, 9. Good job, church. Father, we thank you for the word. And God, we pray today to preach it faithfully and within context. And God, that you, Lord, would help us, Lord, today uh, to be motivated for the things that you have for us, God. Not to, Lord, sit on the sidelines, but, Father, to, to love you and, God, to follow you wherever you call us. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this, and all of God's people pray together. Amen. All right, quick survey. Have you ever had a project, something you had to do in your home, you know you had to do it, <clears throat> but let's just say it's not gotten done yet. Anybody? All right, several of you all raising your hands. You know, I, I think about, uh, you know, when you're in your house, you know, you, it's some, some of us have been living in a, a construction zone for a couple of years now, you know, so we know what that's like. In our house, um, you can come, and I can quickly show you that every time I sit down, uh, there are two blinds, window blinds, that an unnamed middle child by the name of Hope got a hold of, and, you know, they are not hanging up anymore, you know, so uh, it looks real um, fun when you drive by from the outside, you know, with no, no blinds up, so, you know, you drive by, you look at that, and, and you know, it seems like I, I go in and I sit down, and maybe I had a long day or something, or it's, it's been stressful, and I come down, and you sit, and then, boom, you see those window blinds that need to be hung, and you still don't do it, you know what I mean by that? You still don't put them up. But I think all of us have had things like that, projects or whatnot that um, need to get done and they've not gotten done. And we may lack the motivation. We may lack the motivation to go to the gym when we know we should or the motivation to, uh, to do this project or that project or whatever. And we can feel that. We know what that's like. It, it, we don't like it, but yet for some reason, as much as we don't like it, we're still not motivated to get up and do it. So we are lacking motivation you know, those projects are fun, and we can laugh about them and things like that, but the reality is there are some things that we must absolutely be motivated for. 
that we must press forward, this keep moving. We got to keep going. We got to keep doing it. For example, I think of the spiritual issues. Uh, for example, um, sometimes we lack motivation for some areas of our faith that we really should be very motivated to press forward. Let me just tell you real quick, perhaps maybe it's summertime. Sun is shining, it's looking good out there. And we may lack the motivation to go to worship God. We may lack the motivation to be in the assembly of the saints together. Or perhaps we work throughout the week and we're tired or it's hard and we think, man, life groups are Wednesday nights or Friday nights or Sunday nights and we have a whole option there if you didn't hear that. You know, there's a whole bunch of options there that you could choose one and you think, man, I just don't want to go to Bible study tonight. I just don't want to... I just don't want to, I'm tired, you know. Or maybe we think about the person that we work with. Um, we know they don't know Jesus. Um, we have never shared the gospel with them. We've never explained that Christ is God and he came to earth. He died in our place as our substitute on the cross and was buried. Three days rose again. And if we put our faith and trust into Christ, then we are saved. We've never explained that to them. We've never explained the gospel of Jesus to them. So you know what? As a result, we know we need to tell them about Jesus. We know we need to tell them about Christ. But we're just never motivated to walk over there and start a spiritual conversation and, and, and tell them about Jesus. It's when we lose motivation for the things of God, that's a problem. When we lack motivation to serve the Lord or the motivation to, to step up and do what God is calling us to do, that's an issue. Um, I, just in a quick observation, I think three things that really hurt um, spiritual things is complacency, fear, and apathy. I think those are three things that really hurt us spiritually when we're pursuing the call of God in our life or we're pursuing um, to be obedient to God when we become complacent. Ah, it's, it's all right. It's okay. Or, well, I'm a little nervous to do that. I'm a little afraid to step out and do that. Or the worst part is I just don't care. I don't care if that person accepts Jesus. I don't care if they ever hear about the gospel. That is a bad spot to be in. That's in a bad place to be in when we don't care about people or the gospel and we don't care, but we need motivation. We need motivation. Now, we know that it's not some sort of self-help, pick you up by the bootstraps type motivation that we need because we know that in our flesh that's weak. We can't do that on our own. The motivation we need to pursue the things of God is not some sort of self-help gimmick. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's from the power of God. It's from knowing Jesus and having the power of God to go forward. What we see in the book of Joshua, they have went through, they have, they have left the wilderness. And if you remember, there's only two people in the wilderness that, that crossed over, that was part of the first generation that led the new generation through. That was Joshua, and who was the other one? Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, Caleb came out of Egypt. They were there with the first generation. And if you remember, they went and spied the land out. Remember that? And they, they came back, and out of 12 people, they were the only two that believed that God could give them the land. And they said, yeah, we can take it. Uh, but the other, the other 10 guys said, no, we can't. We can't do this. So as a result of that, an entire generation dies in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. 
And now Joshua and Caleb have survived. They went through that. They have led the people across the Jordan River. Uh, they are the only group that not only got to see the, the Jordan River part it, but they got to see the Red Sea part it. And they, they go through. They're in the promised land. They rededicate themselves to the Lord. The whole group does on the other side of the Jordan. They as we've preached through, they, they go to Jericho. God miraculously pulls down the walls of Jericho. They have a little bit of setbacks. You know, Achan's sin was a problem. The, the whole Gibeonite deception was an issue. But as you press forward and you look at the story of what happens, they, they take the land. Last Sunday, we talked about the sun standing still and how that was God's providence of the five major kings in the south of coming together, and they were able to destroy all five of them at once. And as you progress through the text, what you see happens is they conquer the south, and then they conquer the north. So we get to a point now where it's time to divide out the land. It's time. You know, nothing gets you more excited on a Sunday morning than land division, amen, you know, than land division. But it's time to sort out the land. It's been conquered. Now, there's still some pockets of resistance. Like, there's still, like, a group of people that, you know, are kind of wanting to war a little bit. But for the most part, the land has been conquered. And we get to this section of the text where Joshua is calling all the tribes together. And he's about to carve it out. Think Kentucky, and then think within Kentucky, Davis County, Ohio County. They're, they're kind of carving out kind of kind of counties. Does that make sense? They're carving out areas. That's, that's one way to think about, of it in the nation of Israel. And each tribe is going to get their little area. So we pick up the story of where Caleb, who has really been absent in the text so far, we've not heard anything about Caleb. We know that he was with Joshua. And Caleb is going to step up to the plate. And you're going to see something in Caleb it's nothing short of just him being wholly dedicated to God. That's what it is, just completely dedicated to the Lord. And we see a spiritual motivation to pursue the things of God in the life of Caleb. So if you want a big idea before we read the text this morning, if you want a big idea, here it is. You ready? God gives motivation. Notice the Lord gives motivation, not ourselves. But God gives motivation for forward movement. If we are going to press forward with what God has called us to be faithful in and what God has called us to do, then we must rely on the Lord himself to do that. Our motivation to get up and go comes from the Lord. Now, chapter 14, a little bit of 15, we're going to do the points first today and then read as we go along. But the first thing I want you to see is this. God gives proof from the past to motivate me forward. God gives proof from my past, your past, to send us forward. Let's go to the text this morning. Joshua 14, we look at verse 16. The descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgah. Judah was the largest tribe, so they got to go first. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, you've not had fun until you're the son of Jephunneh, you know what I mean? The Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh to Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. 
My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I follow the Lord completely. That's a key passage in the text there. I follow the Lord completely. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever because you have followed the Lord my God completely. So they're ready to divide the land up and they're going to divide it up. Judah comes first to get their inheritance. And then from the tribe of Judah, this dude walks up. And you just imagine the scene. Here's all the tribe leaders that are there. They're ready for their county inheritance, you know. And then all of a sudden, you see this old man walk up. And I just picture, like, you know, like, you know, uh, expendables, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, Arnold, you know, it's like, he's old, all right. But he's walking forward, all right. He's, he's there. He's got gray hair, a gray beard. He's walking in. And he says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Josh, before we divide the land up, we need a little bit of a reminder. You know, it was me and you that was part of the original 12 that went into the promised land when we were in the, in the desert. And if you remember, 10 of those guys brought back the bad report. They said that, yeah, the land was great, but there's no way we can do it. They caused the whole nation to lose heart. Isn't it incredible that a little bit of negativity can affect a lot of people? Notice how I use the word infect a lot of people. And they come back and they said, everybody, it made them lose heart. But me and you, Josh, me and you were the only ones that said by God's grace we could do this. We were the only ones that could do this. And as a result of that, Moses said we got to come into the promised land. Sure enough, they did. Joshua and Caleb both crossed the Jordan River. They both fought the battles. They did that. But then I love what he says. He says that Moses said that where the land that we went and spied would be ours. And apparently Caleb took that as a personal promise to himself. And he said, you know what? Moses said I could have Hebron. I'm going to take Hebron. Now you just think about Caleb for a second. Caleb saw so much in his life. He saw the, the exodus. He saw the plagues in Egypt. He saw them walk across the Red Sea. He was in the wilderness when they saw the manna fall from the sky and the quail. He saw the, the, the fire pillar at night, the cloud by day. He was there when they built the Ark of the Covenant. He saw all that. He, he saw all the miracles. And then even in the promised land, Caleb saw the parting of, of the Jordan River. He saw the, the fall of Jericho. He saw the sun stand still. And for Joshua, when he says that, that, you know, that, that, that I've been faithful to God, he has, he has walked through all of this his entire life. And he has seen God's faithfulness. Why has Caleb been faithful to God? You ready? Because God's been faithful to Caleb. And Caleb's response to a faithful God isn't a shocker, is to trust a faithful God. That if God has walked with the Israelite people for this long, surely he'll walk with them today. And by the way, he says, give me this land. And, and I got to tell you, the land in Hebron had one of those pockets of resistance in it. It had some more barbaric people there. And here's an 85-year-old guy walking up to the plate and says, Josh, time out. Before you give all the land away, remember, I've got a farmland in Hebron. 
because God told me that I would have it. It needs to be mine. And Caleb believes as sure as much as God was faithful throughout all this season, why will God not be faithful right now? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm prone to forget. If you're a friend of mine, you know that already. You know that already. I'm prone to forget. But here's an 85-year-old man that remembers well, and he remembers the promises of God. We as Christians, just in general, are prone to forget the greatest thing God has ever done for any of us is save us. Right, church? Greatest thing ever. The greatest miracle ever is to be born again by God's grace. The greatest miracle ever is to be saved. And if we could trust God with our salvation, if we could trust God with that, surely we can trust God with everything. But yet, as we progress forward in the Christian life, so many of us, this is not our story. We, we forget that God has been faithful in saving us. But hey, let's just be honest. Is that the only time? Let me just take a quick survey again. Christian, has God ever been faithful to you and, and blessed you and done something great after you gave your life to Jesus? I think really if we're all believers, we should raise our hand and say, yeah, God has continued to be faithful even in spite of my sin because he's been good to me. But we forget that. We forget about the history that God's done. And yet when God tells us to do something, he tells us to press forward, he tells us to have faith, he tells us there's another chapter coming. That's what transitions are, right? One chapter is ending, another one is beginning. Isn't that what a transition is? We get nervous. We know God saw us through chapter one, two, three, four, and five, but surely he won't help us in chapter six. Surely he won't. And we forget about what God's done. Some of you all know this, but um, this weekend, it was the two-year anniversary of when our offices caught on fire. It was this weekend, two years. And for many of you all that, that went through that, that was an awful time period, and we sat out there and our... Before we ever had the property, you know, we had um, fixed up our little ministry center and um, Rick Phelps came out there and drew something on the wall for it just to go poof, you know. Megan had painted stuff for the kids area for it to go up and smoke and all of y'all did stuff. Many of you all did stuff to contribute. And then it all just went up in flames. We buffed floors, didn't we, Nathan? You know, you remember that? And it just, and it went up. And I remember standing out there thinking on the day it was burning and just, like, this is crazy. This is nuts. And, and I thought, God, what are you doing? You know, here we are trying to preach the gospel. We're trying to reach the unchurched. We're trying to reach the lost. And it just seems like you, there wasn't really a past to be taken away from that building because there, there wasn't a whole lot of past in it. But it felt like God was taking our future from us. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like God was taking our future from us. Little did I know, God was not taking a future from us. God was giving us a future. And I believe with all my heart, with all my heart, we go back to that time period. Was it God's will for us to be in that building? Absolutely. You'll never convince me otherwise. Ever convince me otherwise. We were as faithful as could be to go to that building. Why? Because look what God brought from it. His faithfulness. God gifted us a $2 million facility 
as a result of that. Can I just tell you something? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. God did something great. And let me tell you something. If the Lord saw us through that and blessed us in such an incredible way, gee, do you think it's now up to us to be on our own? Do you think he just stopped blessing us? Do you think he stopped walking with us? Do you think he stopped giving us his presence? Of course not. One way that we know we can trust God going forward is because of the great stuff he's done in the past. Our testimony, our story. We know that he's been faithful and we press forward. Listen, if the past faithfulness of God does not motivate you to go forward, I don't know what will. So we look at Caleb. He saw God's great story and he pressed forward. But number two, I want you to see this. God gives present possibilities to motivate me forward. God gives stuff that's in front of me right now, opportunities in front of me right now to get me going. He uses those opportunities to make me press forward. Now let's go back to the text, verse 10. At, Caleb is still talking. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he has promised. Since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. And I love this, don't you? I'm still as strong today as I was the day Moses set me out. Sent me out. Hey, this is a Marshall Veach, ain't it? You know? This is a Marshall Veach. He says, I'm still as strong today as I was when Moses sent me out. Listen, this guy's 85. My strength for battle, what? And for daily task is now as it was then. This dude is ripped for Jesus, all right? And then he says, now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day because you heard then that the Anakim are there as well as large fortified cities. He says, what? I want that land. I know it has to be conquered. I know it has to be fought. I'm good to go. I got this by God's grace. I got it. And he goes on to say why. He says, as well as perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Now, do you think he really wondered if God was going to be with them? Oh, he knew God was with them. He was saying, you know, as God has been with me in the past, he's going to now be with me what? In the present. The Lord is going to be with me in the the present. He's going to see me through this. Even though I'm 85 years old, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to press forward. Then I love it. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Caleb kept moving. He didn't stop. You know, I don't know if there was a temptation or not to get like a really nice um, complex built by the Jordan River where he could go and sit with all the other aging Israelites and, you know, like maybe to play Hebrew shuffleboard or something, you know, and, you know, and just sit and just remember the good old days. Caleb's not interested. You know what he's interested in? You ready? Forgive me for my crudeness. He's whooped some tail and he ain't done yet. <laughs> he ain't done yet. There are challenges still ahead of Caleb and he's not God's promised him. God has a call on Caleb's life. And old age is not going to stop him. Old age is not going 
stop it. You know what Joshua does? He says, okay, go. He blesses them. He blesses them. He says, go get them, big boy. You know, go get them. Go get them. God's called you to do this. There was an opportunity for Caleb to fight some more, for him to be used by God some more. Now, as I think about our transition of all that we've come through and walked through and all that crazy stuff and what God's doing right now with this facility, you know, we have been remodeling the auditorium and, and that's a construction site over there, but, but the reality is it's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Now, after the actual physical construction is done, we have to get in there and do some things. We got to do some cleaning. We got to put some elbow grease in it ourselves and organizing, and that's going to take a while, all right? But I got good news and bad news for you, all right? You want the good news? Good news? All right, good news. We're going to wait till everybody's done with summer vacations. We're going to wait till. Uh, you know, we can do our little elbow grease and do things like that, make it look good, make it get ready, move all the kids' stuff where it needs to be and all that stuff. But you ready for the good news? We want to make sure everybody's here so we can pick the best optimal time to worship together. That's why August the 5th will be our first Sunday over there. August the 5th. Are you excited about that? Now, that's the good news. Are you ready for the bad news? You ready? You ready? Just because we're over there doesn't mean we've arrived. It doesn't mean we've arrived. Meaning what? That building, you've heard me say it a hundred times and I might say it a hundred more is only a tool for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's a tool to be used. And you know what? When we get over there, the very first thing we have to do is recommit ourselves to this community. And we have got to see the neighborhood that surrounds this church as an opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus and to love on them. And let me tell you something. When we're over there, guess what? We're out of here. So this building's gonna be just a gym. And you know what my hope is? You ready? I hope that any kid in this neighborhood that wants to come and slam dunk it can. And I want this neighborhood to know that this building, this gymnasium, you ready? Is not for us. We have, God has not given us a gymnasium, hear me on this, for us to have a social club. We'll use it for fellowship dinners and stuff like that and fellowship team. I love you, all right, but hear me, all right? This isn't about us. This has got to be turned over and used for the glory of God for this neighborhood. It has to. It has to. We've got we to view it as a community center. We've got to view it as a way to reach the hurting, to reach the poor, to reach those that need help. We've got to love every kid on this street, church, every one of them. If we lock the doors and use the walking track just for us, let me tell you what, you're not Caleb. You're not Caleb. 
Because a Caleb sees what God's given him and says, man, I still got some fight in me. Guess what? We got some fight in us. And when we get over there, this is not for us. So go ahead and look at your neighbor. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and tell them, this building is not for you. It's not. It's not. You ready? It's for the Lord. And it's for the community. And we've got to use it that way. Amen, church? Amen. Hey, I'll take it. All right, here we go. It might require some muscle. It will require faith. And it might require some battles. But we've got to engage the neighborhood. We've got to love the neighborhood. We've got to be there for the neighborhood. We've got to give them Jesus. And we've got to let the neighborhood know that they don't have to come to us, but we're going to go to them. And we're going to love them. In the name of Jesus. Well, that's your pastor's heart, all right? So understand this, that God gives us opportunities, present possibilities for us to love this neighborhood. Now, there's other possibilities at your work to share the gospel with in your neighborhood with your neighbors. You know that. So think through what is God using to motivate you to go across the street to share the gospel with your neighbor or to be faithful or to go on that mission trip? What possibilities are in front of you? Number three, God gives potential protégés to motivate me forward. First time I've ever used protégé in a sermon, you know. Uh, being a good Baptist, I'm starting with all the letter P's today, all right? So God gives potential protégés to motivate me forward. Now, Caleb's story is continued in chapter 15. So you got to jump over to chapter 15, starting in verse 13. you got to jump over a page or two, okay? Because what happens is Caleb begins to give the land. He begins to distribute the land. And then you kind of come back to the Caleb story because there's more to the story. There's more to it than just Caleb saying, by, by the power of the Lord, we're going to go in and take the land. And this is a really neat part. So you look at verse 13, and it says this. He gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the following portion among the descendants of Judah based on the Lord's instruction of Joshua. So we got it. Kareth Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. Don't you love that? 85 years old. 85 years old. And he's whooping up. Isn't that awesome? Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak. Shishai, Anum, Tamai, I just butchered those names. I have no idea. Descendants of Anak. From there he marched against the inhabitants of Debir, which used to be called Kerasephir. And Caleb said, now, now look at this. This is really important. Whoever attacks and captures Kerasephir, I will give my daughter Aksa to him as a wife. So Othniel, son of Caleb's brother, Kenaz, captured it. And Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him as a wife. When she arrived, this is very important. When she arrived, she persuaded Othniel to ask her father for a field. But something else happens. As she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, give me a blessing. Sounds a lot like her daddy, doesn't it? Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the Najeb, which would have been like a deserty type area, Give me the springs also where there's water. So he gave her the upper and lower springs. Let me tell you what happens. Caleb goes in to the area that he gets, and he wars, and he fights, and he conquers. 
And then in the midst of his conquering, Caleb does something. He sees another city that's got to get taken over. And he says, okay, he has some guys with him. Who wants this city? If you could take this city, if one of you young whippersnappers can take this one, make a deal. I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. That's what I'll do. And this guy named Othniel, he says, she's good looking. I'll take you up on that, you know. What motivates a man more, right? You know, so press it forward. So he goes in, and what happens? Othniel captures the city. Do you think maybe the elderly Caleb might be doing something? You think maybe he's trying to teach the younger ones a little bit of what God has taught him to step up and to go forward? Caleb had that in him, but he knew that he would die one day soon. So he had to get some other people motivated. And then what happens? His daughter gets married to Othniel. Othniel, by the way, becomes one of the first judges in the nation of Israel. He becomes a leader in his own right in the next book. But his daughter gets married. And his daughter marries Othniel, and she asks Othniel, she says, Othniel, you know, we're going to get settled in and that sort of thing. But where we're at, where dad's put us, there's not a good water system, would you care to ask dad if he could give us some spring water too? Now, that might not seem like that big of a deal, but in that culture, um, the, matri- the, the patriarchs of the family and the way that men interacted with men, it would have been completely inappropriate even for the daughter to ask the father for something. It would have been inappropriate. So the husband should have asked for it. So, so what does she do? She says, Othniel, you go and ask dad for the land. And the Bible says, you can go back and look at it, that when she's riding on her donkey, she finds Caleb. And what does she do? She gets off. And then what happens? Caleb says, what can I do for you? Now, you may not think anything about that until you start really thinking about what's going on. Caleb is making her do what? Step up to the plate. To not be timid, to not be shy, to be bold. And sure enough, she says, I want you to bless me with the springs. So you know what Caleb's doing? He's got like this mentoring program going on. That's what he's got. He's got a mentoring program, Brandon. That's what he's doing. It's like trail life on steroids, okay? It's like crazy. And he's raising up these young guys, even his own daughter, to teach them to be bold and to pursue what God has for them. Let me tell you something, guys. There is a great, great lesson in this. And and I'm not going to say who's a senior citizen in this room. As far as I'm concerned, none of you are, okay? But if you, you're welcome, Miss Jean. So... With that being said, let me just say this. If you want the shoe to fit, it's up to you, all right? It's up to you. But one thing, seniors, that you can learn from Caleb, okay, is that you are being watched by the younger generation. Amen? You are being watched. And what you must be aware of is that the way you model your faith, other Christians in the church 
younger Christians will take cues from you. Meaning, how you act as a Christian may affect a younger Christian. Now, with that being said, I can honestly say that at this church, we have been spared from this. We have been spared from this by God's grace. But I've been in some churches where the older group is at odds with the younger group. I mean, they just, they just can't get along, and they fight. And they fight. I can honestly say that our church, praise God, does not have that in it, that there is a working together. I can, I can honestly testify to that. But I've seen it. With the one generation is against the other. Let me help you with something. That's not how the New Testament church should be. When you read in Titus, and Titus tells the, the older women to shepherd or to, or to mentor or to help the younger women, there is a coming along together. This should look good. That's why our life groups aren't age graded. We have seniors mixed in with college kids because I think they can learn from the seniors, if you want my honest opinion. I think you need older people in your group and younger people in your group. I really do. I think you need both in order to grow and mature. I really do. But here's what I want to encourage our senior saints with. You must always look out for the opportunity to teach the younger Christian to trust in God. Always. Because they're looking at you. And if they see you saying, well, we can't do this. We can't pay for this. There's no way this is going to happen. This is just, why will they ever trust God when they get older? Why will they ever trust the Lord? We need our seniors to be like Caleb and say, you know what? It ain't over till it's over. Let's trust God. Let's trust God. The great challenge of Caleb to our seniors today, a great challenge to trust God. What I want to tell you is this. When you read in the book of Numbers, it says, it specifically says that Caleb had a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit than the other guys. I don't think that's much of a stretch to say that this is not your norm, okay? You know, this is not your norm. 85 years old, fighting, I don't think that's the norm. 85 years old and teaching other people to raise up to take his spot, I mean, this is not the norm. But even though it was a different spirit, it's the spirit we need. And the reality is, it's not that Caleb has, again, some sort of self-help look your face in the mirror, chant something, and you get just, I'm going to go take the world. No. It said it right there in the text. He was committed to the Lord. He walked with God. So how do we get motivation to do what God calls us to do? You ready? It's not hard. You walk with the Lord. You just walk with God. And, of course, we know that that comes through what? A relationship with who, church? Jesus Christ. Trusting that God Paid it all on the cross through Jesus and giving our life. And by the way, if you're ever tempted to stay still in your faith and not to grow, not to step out, not to do what God calls you to do, I don't know if the Christian faith is for you. 
Because Jesus, when he died as a ransom for our sin, he was very still in that tomb until the third day. And Jesus rose again. And today, we serve not a dead, still God. We serve a living God. As a result of serving a living God who sends his spirit on us when we believe. I hate to tell you this, but he is not going to keep you still. My seniors in the room, God is not done with you. You are not too old to follow God. Marshall, you're never too old to follow Jesus. God has a plan for you and your wife. He's never done. He's never done until it's heaven time, man. Which means what? Everybody in this room can be used by God. Everybody. So the motivation to go forward is a relationship with Jesus. Walk with God. So do you have that relationship? Is Christ in your heart? Have you been born again? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for just watching over us. I thank you for the wonderful seniors that we have in our church. God, there are men in this room like Jerry and Rob and Marshall and Terry and Tamara and Jerry and Miss Jean who speak to me, God, who I love so much. And God, I thank you for their faith. I thank you, God, they're moving for you. God, I love them. God, just bless them for their service. Bless them for their movement of serving you. God, I pray that all of us, Lord, would begin to step up to the plate. God, there's a whole neighborhood out here that needs us to tell them about Jesus. And Lord, may we not forget, may we not become complacent or fearful or apathetic. May you send us as evangelists, Lord. God, may you just light a fire underneath us, God. Remind us that that building, that building, God, is not us arriving. It's not us, Lord. It's not, God, us just reaching the pinnacle. God, we're not done. We're not done until this community, this neighborhood is saved by the grace of God. Until the drugs are gone, until the poverty's gone, until Jesus is preached. And God, and we pray to embrace this neighborhood, Lord, like Caleb embraced Hebron. God, we still got some fight in us. We still got some fight in us. So Lord, in this invitation time, God, I pray that we'll come and recommit ourselves to you and to the neighborhood, Jesus. That we'll recommit ourselves to outreach. We'll recommit ourselves to evangelism. We'll recommit ourselves, God. We'll just get on our knees, recommitting ourselves to the fight that is before us. And God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, how I pray they'll be saved today. God, motivate us into action right now. Send us forward. Give us people like Caleb, God. 
remind us it's not over till it's over. So we thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.